Revelations. See ancient artifacts up close and long lost ancient scrolls. The strange writing on this clay brick is known as cuneiform. Now, this script was used for hundreds of years in ancient history. Here, international presenter Gary Webster and travel with him to ancient Babylon and the island of Patmos to discover how ancient mysteries reveal the future. Demonic Dimensions, The Search for Truth. Our first presentation this afternoon, Night Cry, Demonic Dimensions. When I was a little kid, I don't know about you, but I was scared of the dark. You understand? I can remember waking up in the middle of the night after a nightmare and trying to pluck up enough courage to call my mum and dad, who were down the, the passageway in our house. So I'd wake up and what seemed like an eternity, finally the courage would come and I would cry out, Mommy, Daddy. And what seemed like an eternity, finally the light went on down the passageway and I would jump out of bed, race down the passageway and jump in bed with Mum and Dad and everything lived happily ever after. You know the, the feeling as a little kid. Well, I want to talk about a night cry this afternoon, not from a little kid, but a night cry from somewhere else. A night cry that has everything to do with demonic dimensions, as you will see this afternoon. John in the Revelation saw a prostitute who was sitting on a scarlet-coloured beast in Revelation chapter 17. Many have wondered what this is all about. To understand this, of course, we have to think about old Babylon as well, and you'll see that in this program this afternoon. We'll have to go back as well. A prostitute on a scarlet-coloured beast. John says, And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, and on her forehead a name was written. Notice it. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother, he says, of harlots or prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Very strong language. What is this all about? What is John trying to get across to us in his apocalypse? Who is Babylon, the great prostitute? Well, let's find out this afternoon. You will remember in the book of Revelation, we've been noticing there are many symbols. Those symbols we've noticed are interpreted by the Bible. We don't have to guess at it, but we do need to dig. We do need to go to other parts of the Bible to understand these symbols. And as we've been mentioning, you're about to embark on an incredible journey, the secrets of prophecy, where you're going to understand many of the ways to understand that. And you will finally, uh, you will understand so much in that seminar that's coming up starting next weekend. Now, remember also, we mentioned that there are contrasting pairs in this book. Remember, we saw that there is a marriage supper of the lamb and there is a supper of the birds or the vultures in Revelation. There is, we noticed last weekend, a mark of the beast and God's seal. Two different marks. Now we discover that there are two women, a pure woman and a prostitute. And we remember we learn about one by studying the opposite in that pair. So we need to do that. If we want to understand who this prostitute riding on this beast is all about, we need to have a look at, understand about the pure woman first because it will become very plain 
what is this prostitute all about? So let's notice what John says. John says in Revelation 12 that he saw in vision a woman, a pure woman. The Bible says, now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman, he says, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, he says, a garland of 12 stars, a crown of 12 stars. You will notice the woman is covered from head to foot with light. Crown of 12 stars, the sun and the moon. Light, of course, in the Bible represents truth and righteousness. We saw that in the program on the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So this pure woman we're going to discover represents God's people right down through the whole ages of human history. The people of God. Let's notice that, first of all, when we go to the Old Testament. It represents God's church of the Old Testament period. Notice how the Bible portrays God's people when we go to the Old Testament. Old Testament Israel is represented by a woman. Jeremiah the prophet wrote these words. I have likened the daughter of Zion, that's Israel, he says, to a lovely and delicate or attractive woman, the Bible says. This is a symbol for God's people, a attractive woman in the Old Testament. Now, in fact, the Old Testament people of Israel, God's children in the Old Testament part, were called the Old Testament or the church of the Old Testament. Notice, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness. That's with Moses, with the angel which spoke to him on Mount Sinai. And he says, with our fathers who received the lively oracles, God's words to give unto us. So notice the Old Testament people of God were called a delicate and attractive woman, the church of the Old Testament, the times of Moses and so on, very clearly. Now, so the woman, first of all, represents the Old Testament church of God. But then we remember in this story, we noticed this early in our series, a dragon seeks to take the little child that the woman is about to give birth to in Revelation. Uh, the Bible tells us very clearly that the dragon tried to get the child, but he couldn't. The child was caught up to God and his throne, the Bible says. Notice the words of the Bible here in Revelation. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And the dragon, the Bible said, stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Here is the Christmas story we mentioned. Jesus the Christ was born and he came to this planet, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he died on a cross, but he was resurrected and ascended back to the Father's throne in heaven. That's the picture we have. Now, God's Old Testament church longed for that Messiah. In fact, you know, the first boy that was born to our parents, Adam and Eve, they called him Cain, which means we've got the man from God that he promised. You may remember, God promised to Adam and Eve, we said, as soon as they sinned, God came down looking for human beings. Adam, where are you? And when he caught up with Adam and Eve after they'd messed things up, God promised them a deliverer. God is a God of grace. God is not a God who's out to catch us. He's a God who's out to draw us to himself and to give us eternity. And so he promised Adam and Eve that they would have a child and they thought the first one was the one. But he turned out to be the first murderer, tragically, and killed his brother, Abel. 
So God's people all down through the Old Testament, they wanted the Messiah to come, the Christ child. And then, of course, finally he came. Now, the Bible says, now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, (laughs) because Jesus actually defeated him, he persecuted the woman who had who gave birth to the male child. So when the child was caught up to God on his throne, now he says, I couldn't get the child. I didn't defeat the child. Christ triumphed over the devil. The Bible says at the cross, he went back to the father. Now the devil turned his attention on the woman, God's people since Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling us. So now we look at God's people since the time of Christ after that story line in John's revelation. And that's exactly what the New Testament calls the people of God. It likens them to a woman as well. The New Testament church of God is defined in exactly the same sort of terms in the Bible. Notice this one. Paul is talking, talking to his friends at Corinth. He says, for I have betrothed you to one husband. That means to Christ, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. God wants us to be, as it were, the bride of Christ. In other words, we're united to Christ in a tremendous relationship that is likened to the marriage relationship, the closest human ties that we can have on earth. God uses that imagery to show how he loves his people here on planet earth. So the bride of Christ, his beloved, is described in terms of a bride, just as in the Old Testament, so in the New. That's what this woman represents. God's people all down through the ages, Old and New Testament and so on. What a great picture. So now we can understand who this Babylon the Great is. We've noticed what the pure woman stands for. Then this prostitute stands for something which for people who were once the people of God, but have become unfaithful just like as described as a prostitute. In fact, you know, when we go to the New Testament, we notice these words that Paul shows us that illustrate this. In other words, an apostate or an unfaithful church or people once may be faithful, yes, but now unfaithful to their one great lover. Notice how the book of James describes people. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that Friendship with the world is enmity with God. What is James saying here in the New Testament? What's he saying? He's saying this. Adulterers or adulteresses are Christians who belong to the world while they profess to love Christ. That's the way the Bible uses this term. Jesus, sorry, in the Old Testament, there's a whole book in the Old Testament called the book of Hosea where God likens his people to a prostitute because they have turned away from him and his commandments and they've followed the pagan things. So he calls Israel at that point in time while they're unfaithful, uh, adulterous and adulteresses and James says the same. So Christians who claim to be the followers of Christ, but really they belong to the world because they love the things of the world that are opposed to the things of God. This is what the Bible uses in this terminology. All right. Now, Babylon is made up of three parts in the end of time. This Babylon the Great. Notice what the Bible says. As we come to the seventh plague, it says, Now the great city, that's Babylon the Great, the great city was divided into three parts. And great Babylon was remembered before God. What are the three parts that Babylon is divided into? The three parts that made it 
Babylon the Great, of course. And we find that in the Bible, these three parts of Babylon. So what are the three parts? Let's go to Revelation chapter 16. We come to the sixth plague, and it's under the sixth plague that this is mentioned. Notice what John saw. Then the sixth angel, he poured out his bowl, that is his bowl of plagues, on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up. Now, those of you who are here this morning in either Thornley or Mount Cola, we gave a little bit of this information, but we'll review it again, especially for those who weren't there this morning, perhaps. So he says, he poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. What is going on here? What is John trying to get us to think about in this little passage here in this sixth plague? Well, you remember... In our very first program, we talked about King Cyrus, that Medo-Persian king. We showed you the Cyrus cylinder that we had on display, a replica of it. We talked about this man, Cyrus. Cyrus, the king of Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia was east of Babylon. He dried up the river Euphrates when he captured Babylon. Remember, we saw he dug channels off from that part of the river that flowed through just before it flowed into Babylon. And he lowered the river bed, the river, so the soldiers were able to march under those gates. You will recall that. That's what it's referring. Babylon the Great, the Euphrates River is dried up. Now you will recall that on this occasion, because the Euphrates was dried up, that he was able to take Babylon. Now when you read Euphrates in Revelation, this is code for Babylon, you see, Babylon the Great, because the Euphrates River was the river that flowed through Babylon. So when John says the Euphrates River was dried up, he's wanting us to remember Babylon, which is what he's really talking about here, Babylon the Great. Now, also remember that the Bible tells us that the waters flowed into Babylon. Now, let's just notice the three parts of Babylon right here. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. Why frogs? Because you remember, this is one of the plagues. You remember one of the plagues of Egypt was what? Frogs. They were everywhere, Moses tells us. They were in Pharaoh's bed. They were in his kitchen cupboards. They were in his ovens. Wherever you look, there are frogs everywhere. One of the great gods of the Egyptians. Now, just like in ancient Egypt, these frogs are everywhere. But what are these frogs? I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon. They came out of the mouth of the beast. They came out of the mouth of the false prophet. And he's going to go on and tell us these are demons. Well, he's already told us they're unclean spirits. They're everywhere on planet Earth at this time of the end. That's what he's telling us. Everywhere you look, there are going to be demonic spirits working through human agencies. And we'll see that very clearly in a moment. So you notice the three parts of Babylon, the dragon, the sea beast, and the land beast, who is called the false prophet for very good reasons, as we will see. So this is Babylon the Great. It's made up of these three powers, the dragon, the sea beast, and the land beast. These are what the Bible calls Babylon the Great, as they merge together, work together, are unified for a common purpose. Now, we've understood the dragon, of course. The dragon is Satan, isn't he? But Satan just doesn't come along with a pitchfork and a couple of horns and a pointy tail. We've seen he always uses fronts. He used the snake in the garden. He used the king of Tyre. From Lebanon area, we noticed in one program, he uses the ancient Roman government 
uh, Roman Empire we've seen in another program. He always uses fronts. He stands actually in the end of time, as in the ancient times, for everything that is clearly not of God. In this case, everything that is not Christian has nothing to do with Christianity. This rep is represented by the dragon. He, that's what he uses in the end of time. All non-Christian fronts in, in the end of time. In other words, non-Christian religions, powers, worldviews, ideologies, everything that is clearly got nothing to do with the things of the Bible and God and so on. This is represented by the dragon. He works through all those various fronts in the end of time. Now, of course, we understand the sea beast. We took a whole program on that last Friday evening. The dark age Christian church renewed in the end times with great authority so that the whole world we saw wonders and follows after that beast. John was very plain on that in chapter 13. And then, of course, we saw that beast that came up out of the land, out of an unpopulated part of the earth. It began and grew to a mighty power in the end of time. We noticed the clear characteristics John gave. This is Protestantism that has also lost its hold on God and the word of God as it wanders from God, starts to call the things of God in error so that we get to a point in planet earth at the end of time where we're saved by grace we don't have to follow God's commandments something's wrong with such a thing like that when the Lord Jesus gave the commandments sadly apostate protestantism especially led by the apostate protestantism in America is going to take the whole protestant world down a certain track in the end of time that's the way John portrays it so in other words what is Babylon Babylon the great is all religions Christian and non-religious and non-Christian religions all worldviews that do not follow God and his word and his commandments and do not follow the same path that Jesus has outlined for us this is Babylon the great that John portrays in the end of time. He puts it all in one bag together, if you could put it like that. Now, John says, The woman, Babylon the Great, was arrayed in purple and scarlet. And he says, And adorned with gold and precious stones. She's dressed up for a, like a prostitute to make a killing, in other words. You see the language here. And precious stones and pearls. Having in her hand, he said, Having in her hand, John says, a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. She's out to intoxicate people so that they can have illicit relations, you see. This is the picture that John has of this prostitute. She's out to trap people like so often happens there on the streets, you see. With whom, the Bible says, the kings of the earth committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Got the picture here. John is trying to say something to us. This wine somehow intoxicates the political leaders of the world. In fact, it intoxicates all the inhabitants of the earth. So what's this wine that's in the cup of this prostitute? What is this wine that John is portraying here that he uses, she uses to make people drunk? Well, we're not left without understanding from the Bible. When Jesus the Christ was here, Christ likened his teachings to new wine or unfermented grape juice. He was talking to his disciples about some of the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees. 
And in his discussion, I want you to notice what Jesus said about their teachings. He likened his teachings to new wine and so on. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. He says, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins. So he likens his teachings to new wine or pure grape juice. So this alcoholic wine represents false doctrines. It's the opposite. Both are wine, but one is the new juice of the grape. The other is alcoholic. He likens and contrasts his teachings are pure. Now this woman's carrying a cup that makes everybody drunk. Now notice what the Bible says. Paul is talking and notice the language he uses. He says, now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit expressly teaches or says that in the latter times, in the days to come, some will depart from the faith, giving heed, he says, to deceiving spirits and the doctrines or the teachings of what? Of demons. You see the idea here. Even the New Testament in Paul's day said in the latter times, people will listen to the doctrines or the teachings of demons. So the alcoholic wine that this woman has to make the political leaders and everybody drunk, it represents Babylon's false teachings. And we've seen some of those that the world has imbibed of. Remember, one of those is baptism by sprinkling. Where did that come from? Well, the ancient Egyptians used to practice a form of infusion as well in their ceremonies. The idea of baptism by sprinkling is not in the Bible. We saw the Bible uses baptism by immersion. The Bible also talks about the about the, when we die, we sleep. But along comes pagan teachings like the ancient Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Romans, and sadly it came into the Christian church that we have an immortal soul inside us. And we took a whole program on what happens when we die. This immortal soul idea comes from pagan teachings as well. Then we noticed, of course, the idea of the Sunday that replaced the seventh day, the Sabbath of the Bible. Sunday or the first day of worship. This was another one of these teachings, false teachings of Babylon that came along. And then, of course, we had that idea of an eternally burning hell that we saw last week, remember, on Mother's Day. Remember, some of you wondered how we could share a message on hell on Mother's Day. That's not because of our mothers. Probably we gave our mothers hell, maybe, you know. (laughs) But what's the point here? The point is this. This idea that there are people now roasting and toasting in the fires now while we speak and will do so for eternity says, what sort of a God is that? If that's what God is like, then he needs a savior. We mentioned that last week. This is not in the Bible. This is a teaching that has come from pagan teaching. Now, notice what the Bible says. The Bible says very clearly in the second angel's message, which we haven't yet looked at, but we are now going to read. It tells us the seriousness of false teaching. People think it doesn't matter what you believe. It matters a big deal, my friend, what we believe, because belief finally comes out in behavior we saw. That's one of the principles of psychology. Notice what the Bible says. As another angel comes, thank God for this angel, another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen. It is fallen, that great city. Why? Now notice why. Because... She has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. In other words, the wine of Babylon's teachings corrupts the world. That's what's wrong about bad teaching that is contrary to the Bible. It corrupts people. 
You don't think that's true? Think again, my friend. The immortal soul idea means that people think if somebody's soul is immortal and it's out there somewhere, I can contact the dead. But we're not contacting the dead, we're contacting the demons we saw from John's revelation. Now that's pretty corrupting if you think about it. When we think we're contacting our loved ones, we're not. We're in touch with the demons. That corrupts the world. You think about the idea of Sunday sacredness. What has that done, we've noticed? It pushes aside the Sabbath teaching. And what does the Sabbath teaching tell us? The Sabbath says we were made in the image of God. God created us. The Bible says in six days, man and the whole world was made. Yet this idea that Sunday's the day, pushes all that aside, that's forgotten, and soon we have a world that believes that even there is no God. He certainly didn't create everything. That corrupts the world. It lowers the image of man to the image of the monkey when we're made in the image of God. That's corrupting, you see. That's what John is talking about. These teachings corrupt the world. They intoxicate the planet. What about this one? What about the idea that when people die, they either burn in hell like this eternal idea, this idea of burning for eternity, on and on. What does that mean? That means many people today don't believe in God at all. Why would you want to believe in a God like that? I've got enough problems of my own, they believe. And so atheism and agnosticism is the result of this teaching. You see, when God said the second angel's message, Babylon has fallen because it's corrupted the world, he knew that when we followed wrong teaching, it leads to tremendous corruption in society in the end. It ruins our world, and that's exactly what has been happening down through the centuries, tragically. Now, these three powers of Babylon, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, they now gather everybody to Armageddon. False teachings have sucked people in a little bit, but there's more to come, John says. Notice what John tells us. He tells us how this is going to happen. He says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. He says they were coming out of the mouth of the dragon. Out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, he says. They are the spirits of demons and they are performing miracles. Now, notice it doesn't say tricks. It says miracles. There are many people who believe that if we see a miracle, it must be coming from God. Whoa, hold on a little bit here. The Bible is very plain that not all miracles are coming from God. Just because you saw a man come in on crutches and he went out walking, don't think that that means God healed him. Not for a minute. Be careful. The Bible is very plain that even the demons can do miracles, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty, he says. And they gathered them together, it says, in the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. And we've seen that battle. In other words, demonic global deceptions are going to lead the world to destruction signs and wonders to deceive the world because most people when they see a tremendous miracle they think it's coming from God and they believe the agents who do those things and they take them by deceptions to destruction eventually this is why God exposes Babylon the great because these things are coming from every quarter of Babylon 
from the dragon, from the beast, from the false prophet, these signs and wonders. Is this happening today? You better believe it, my friend. We're seeing this big time in our world today. You think about non-Christian religions and worldviews. Did you know today that in the Islamic faith, there is a great deal of miracle working taking place today? Did you know that's the case with the Hindu religion as well? Many, many faithful, earnest, sincere people in those faiths. I have no question. Very sincere people. And God loves them. But that still doesn't tell us, that, uh, that doesn't do away with the fact that there's a lot of miracles coming out of this today. And there is. But you think about another area from ideologies and worldviews today where we're seeing supernatural things. You just think of Hollywood for a moment here tonight. Over the last 20, 30 years, we have seen film after film after film on the occult and the supernatural and witches and the dead and so on. You just think of how many have been pouring out. Now, of course, we've had Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. We've had Blair Witch, Sabrina, The Ghost, and a whole range of films, all focusing on the idea of life after death and contacting those who have died and so on. There's a huge amount of this going on in the world today. You think of New Age channeling and astrology. There are many people who go down to the to the market on the Sunday right here around you, and they will talk to the people who are going to do the astrology for them and read their palms and use the tarot cards my friend this is all coming from this source let me tell you because the bible warns us against getting involved in this sort of stuff it's dangerous moses gave some strong warnings for god about this sort of thing new age channeling contacting the dead that look like the dead out of body experiences we talked about what is really happening here something's happening no question about it, but one thing we know, if we use the Bible as the basis on which to, to, to check everything, we know this is not the dead. Because the Bible says the dead know nothing. They are sleeping until they're woken up when Jesus comes. We know this is not the dead. So if someone says, I looked down and saw my body, they were not dead. They might have been near death, but they were not dead because the Bible says the dead know nothing. We talked about what happens when you near death, how people hallucinate because of the chemical interactions and so on. Reports of reincarnated lives. Many people saying, ah, I was this in a previous life and so on. How do we know whether this is true or not? By the Bible, my friend. Because the Bible says very clearly in the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells us it is appointed unto men once to die, not two times, three times, four times, in an endless recycling of some immortal soul, not at all. It is appointed to men once to die, and after that the judgment. The Bible, my friend, is clear, and this book will save you and I from countless deceptions, because Jesus warned that as we near the end of time, there will be multitude of deceptions. What about from apostate protestantism or protestantism that is no longer following the word of god as it once did what about this are we seeing supernatural signs and wonders you think about it my friend in the in the protestant religions around the world today there is lots of talk about healings and prophecies and and many of this these ideas and things that happen supernatural things no question now listen don't get me wrong i believe in healing my father was healed of cancer, malignant melanoma, 50 years ago. He died a couple of years ago, but for 40-odd years, he never had that back again. I believe in healing, no question. God, in fact, encourages us to pray for healing. But not all healing is coming from God. That's my point this afternoon. 
The Bible says, many will come to me in that day. Many will say to me, Jesus said, on that day when I return, Lord, Lord. They call him Lord. In other words, they're Christian people. Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And have we not done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare, says Jesus, to them, those miracle workers, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice what? Lawlessness. So my friend this afternoon, do not think that just because a Christian says he's a Christian and does amazing things, might be done before thousands of people, that that necessarily means they are doing this for God. Be careful. Be very careful, my friend. Now, that doesn't mean we should not re- we should reject it, but we should test it. Is this coming from God or is it coming from another source, the demonic powers? We can know which one it's coming from because Jesus gave us two tests. Number one, the fruit test. Notice what he said. Beware of false prophets. You will know them by their fruits. In other words, their life. Their life will declare to you who is the source behind what they are doing. What is the source? Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment, and then you can do this test yourself as you watch what happens, especially as you watch what happens on television. If you think of the life of Jesus Christ, it was marked by three things. Number one, purity. You never saw Jesus sleeping in bed with a woman, right? Number two, simplicity. Jesus did not do anything with a great fanfare like it was a Hollywood performance, It was always done simply. Jesus worked very humbly. Jesus sometimes would find someone who needed to be be healed and he would take them away and he said, don't tell anybody. He was not in it for himself. He was a very humble, simple, pure worker for God. Now contrast that to what sometimes we see too often in our world today. And I will tell you what we see often from some big name TV presenters, tragically. And I'm sharing this with you so you and I can do the tests. Signs and wonders done by many of these people, but some very big name people. In fact, there have been 30 scandals among TV evangelists and healers since 1970 and 2011. Big time scandals. We're talking about fraud. We're talking about theft in the millions. We're talking about abuse and adultery and sleeping with prostitutes. We have to ask the questions. Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. Anybody who just takes it hook, line and sinker and does not apply the test is not being wise and certainly not following the counsel of Jesus. There's another test, Jesus said. He said, do the commandment test. Do the commandment test. Do they follow what God says? Not everyone, Jesus said, who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he or she who does the will of my father. That's a good test for you and I. We can call ourselves Christians, but do we follow the will of God? Do we seek to understand God's words so that we might do what God says. That's a very important test that the Bible has here. Because anybody who loves Jesus will seek to know his will and to follow the will of God. Now, you will notice an amazing text in Isaiah. And this is talking about people who do amazing supernatural things. That's the context. And then these words come out. To the law and to the testimony. In other words, to the scriptures. If they do not speak according to this word, 
God's word and his commandments and so on, if they don't speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Do you think, my friend, that God is going to pour out his spirit on someone who deliberately says, don't need to worry about those commandments, they're done away with at the cross. Do you think God's going to pour out his spirit on someone in a supernatural way and have them contradicting what he says in his word? Of course not. God is not a schizophrenic. God gives his spirit of power to those who follow him, said Peter, those who obey him. So those who do not obey him, those who speak against God's commands, God's word, you can rest assured they are led by another spirit, but it is not the spirit of God. That's the way the Bible portrays it. These people who really work for God love God and his word, his laws, and so on. What about revived Dark Age Church of Rome? Do we see miracles coming from there today? We certainly do, my friend. We certainly do. I have a book in my library at home called The Thunder of Justice. It's a fascinating book because it's written by two devout people of the Church of Rome, Ted and Maureen Flynn. But it it talks about all the various Marian apparitions, the appearances and messages that are coming from Mary, the mother of Jesus today among people in the church of Rome. And they're occurring by the thousands around the world today. And they go through many of these in their books. Marian apparitions are increasing today around the world. In fact, Pope John Paul II believed that Mary saved his life. Notice Time magazine, front cover story, just a few years ago when Pope John Paul was the it was the Bishop of Rome, the front cover article story was called Mary, Handmaid or Feminist. And in this article, this is what they had to say. John, talking of John Paul, he firmly believes that her, that's Mary's personal intercessions, spared his life when he was shot at St. Peter's Square in Rome in 1981. You remember that story, what happened, where they guy tried to kill the Bishop of Rome, Pope John Paul II. Well, he says, I believe that I was spared because of Mary's intercessions for me in heaven. That's how come I'm alive today. Now, I want you to think about that. Mary, my friend, is dead. She died. Her tomb, you can visit the tomb of the Virgin here. She died, and you even notice the Domitian of the Virgin Mary. Here's a picture of her lying dead there. In fact, one of the bishops of Rome said she died. Notice what it says here. This is one of the, the uh, popes of Rome. This is what he had to say. Venerable to us, O Lord, is the festivity of this day on which the Holy Mother of God suffered temporal death. No question that Mary died. There is nothing in all of the Bible that tells us at all that Mary was raised from the dead. There's not a word about it, not anything in Scripture. Mary died like every one of us. Why? Because Mary sinned. The Bible says all have sinned. That includes Mary and comes short of the glory of God. That's why she died, because like all of us, she has sinned. She died. So who then is speaking? If Mary died and the dead know nothing, who's doing the talking? Who's doing the appearing? My friend, I'll tell you who's doing the appearing. I'll tell you who's doing the talking. The Bible is very plain. These are the spirits of demons because the dead know nothing. 
This is a tremendous importance for us to get this today. No matter whether we're Protestant, we're Roman Catholic, or we're non-Christian religions, there is an abundance of miracles and signs of wonders that are sweeping the world today. And we had better make sure that we are rooted and grounded in God's word, or we will be led astray too as time goes on. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. This is vital for you and I, my friend, this afternoon. No question about it at all. So signs and wonders from Babylon, from each of the three parts of Babylon, that's what John is pointing to. These global demonic deceptions lead eventually the world to worship Satan. Because the miracles come from him and he's going to draw people this way to worship him. That's exactly what we've noticed John says. All the world will one day worship Satan. Not bow down to Satan in that sense, but they will follow the ways of Satan. He, the beast from the land, John says in Revelation 13. Watch it carefully. The beast from the land. He performs great signs so that... It's so that he even makes fire come down from heaven. Remember, one of the prophets of the Bible made fire come down from heaven. What was his name? Do you recall? Elijah on Mount Carmel. Fire came down from heaven. Now, this power does similar things, but it's not from God. So he's called the false prophet because Elijah was a true prophet. That's why Revelation calls this power not, not just the, the land beast, but the false prophet. He made fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, the Bible says. And notice what happens. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those miracles. Ah, this is a miracle from God. So they follow what the beast says, you see. To dwell on the earth to, by, the, by those miracles which he was granted to do telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast and who was wounded by the sword and live. So people worship the image. And if they worship the image, they really worship the beast whose image this is. And if you worship the image, the beast, you worship Satan. We've seen that two or three times already. He causes the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed, John says. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to that sea beast. You see the point? We worship that image. We really worship the beast. We worship the beast. We worship Satan. How do we worship that image? We take his mark. We follow the sign of his allegiance to the beast. And that's how it's going to happen as we near the end of time. So deceptions, miracles to bring people to Armageddon. That's how John portrays it. Deceptions. Notice what he says again. They are the spirits of demons working miracles which go forth to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And he gathered them together into a place called in Hebrew, Tung Armageddon. What a tragedy, my friend. What a tragedy and what a deceptive power the old devil is. A tremendous power that we need to understand. Deception leads to destruction in the end of time. Powerful demonic deceptions. In fact, Jesus put it this way. He said, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The elect means those 
who are the friends of God, those who have responded to God's call and are following Jesus, even if it was possible, he would deceive them. That's how strong these miracles are going to be, these signs, unless we are one of the friends of Jesus. By putting our life in his hands and feeding on his words, we will be deceived in the end of time. Now, I want to answer this question because I think it's one of the most important that we can ask this afternoon. How can we avoid demonic deceptions? How can you and I not be tricked? I'm going to give you two secrets here. Number one, you and I must love and follow the truth when it comes to us. This is what Paul says to his friends. The coming, he's talking of the Antichrist in the end of time as well. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. You see how Paul agrees with John? That's the wonderful thing, beautiful thing about the Bible. They agree. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception. He says among those who perish, Why do they perish? Here's the answer. Because they did not receive what? The love of the truth that they might be saved. My friends, when truth comes to you and truth comes to me from this book, you and I need to go ask God, God, give me a love for your truth. Because only a love for the truth of God will protect us from the deceptions that are coming. Very important principle that we have here. But the second thing is this, we must heed God's final warning. There is one more warning in the book of Revelation before everything is wrapped up. And this is it. This is where we have an incredible warning. Look what it says. After these things, I saw another angel. Thank God, here's another angel. He loves this planet, sending angels all the time. Another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. God is going to light up this world in one great, stupendous revelation of light, which means truth in the end of time. And he cried, the Bible says, mightily with a loud voice, saying, now watch what he says, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. He's repeating what was said in Revelation 14. This is Revelation 18. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And it's now become a dwelling place of demons. First of all, the truth, Babylon has fallen because she made all the nations drink of the wine. But when we get to chapter 18, now Babylon is full of demons. She's become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit. All the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That's why, because ultimately false teaching will lead to demonic control. That's how the Bible puts it here for us. And this is where we hear the night cry now. Now, this is not a cry from a little kid who's scared of the dark. This is the cry of a God who loves his children. This is earth's last message And it comes from Almighty God himself. Notice how John portrays it. He says, And I heard another voice from heaven, and notice what it said, saying, Come out of her, come out of Babylon, my people. This is God the Father talking. Come out, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins, he said, have reached to heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. I hope you can see, my friend, why God has revealed these prophecies to the world today. Three evil powers 
that in the end they're going to deceive the whole world so that that world will be led to destruction. Three evil powers that will be controlled by demons and this world will be plunged into the darkest period of time we've ever seen. It'll make the dark ages look like it's a, it, it, it's a, you know, one of these, uh, what do we have, fireworks displays compared to the darkness of our world today. Demons are going to take over, but God has his children in Babylon. They're scattered everywhere and God says, come out, my people. I love that. God has his children. Why should we come out? Because if we stay, we partake of the sins of Babylon. Come out, my people. Come out is God's call. Babylon, made up of those three powers. In other words, all religions, Christian and non-Christian, and all worldviews that are no longer following God and keeping God's commandments, including the Sabbath. That's how John portrays it in this book. Because the mark of the beast is one of those issues in the end of time. God gets very specific with planet Earth in the end of time because God knows what is needed and what's coming. You see, it's fallen beyond repair, God says. You can't fix it up. Don't stay there and try to fix it up. God says, no, you must leave. You must run for your life because if you stay, we're going to be destroyed by those plagues. To stay is sin. He says we partake of sin if we stay in Babylon. We will be partners of their sin and we will be destroyed in those plagues. You see, sin is what brings destruction. And that's why God has a great call to leave. Because if we stay, we really partake of its sin. So come out. My people is the call of our great God. Now, who are God's people called as we close this afternoon, this first session? Who are God's people called who leave? This is fascinating. Watch with me now. Who are they called? We need to go back to ancient Babylon. Remember ancient Babylon when Cyrus the Great destroyed or defeated the Babylonians? Cyrus delivered God's people and the ones who left, the ones who came out of Babylon, the Jews who came out of Babylon and went back to Jerusalem, what are they called? Isaiah tells us what they're called. Isaiah, oh sorry, here's Jeremiah, but I want you to notice how John is quoting from Jeremiah. Come out of her, my people. Come out of the old Babylon, the one back in Iraq in ancient times. They were told, come out of Babylon, run for your lives. Run from the fierce anger of the Lord because God was going to destroy Babylon eventually. So this call to come out of Babylon the great in the end of time is really a reflection of the call that was given to the Israelites back then. Come out. Don't stay. To stay is to be lost. Run for your lives from the fierce anger of the Lord against Babylon. Then Isaiah tells us that those who left, notice what they're called. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria. Now, it's called Assyria by Isaiah because the Babylonians had not yet conquered the Assyrians. But after this, in Jeremiah's time, it was the Babylonians who conquered the Assyrians and they became the leaders. Run the highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria or ancient Babylon now, as it was for Israel in the day they came from the land of Egypt. So is the Israelites came out of Egypt under Moses. Now there's going to be some Israelites that come out of Babylon. John, uh, Isaiah calls them a remnant. A remnant will come out of faithful people. Remnant. Now what does remnant mean? What does that word mean? We're going to see it in a moment, but I want you to notice, in the end time crisis, there is another remnant, the Bible says. Notice how John puts it. The dragon was wroth or angry with the woman. God's people in the end of time. And he went to make war with what? 
the remnant of her seed. He's furious and he goes to make war with God's remnant. What's remnant mean? How do we understand this term? Very simple. We go to the words of the Apostle Paul. And Paul says that word remnant means those who are faithful to God in the midst of unfaithfulness all around them. Have a look what Paul said when he talked to the people in Rome. He's talking about Elijah the prophet. Elijah appealed or said to God, Lord, they have killed your prophets and they have torn down your altars. And what was God's answer to him? He said, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal in ancient Israel. So too, says Paul, at the present time, that's his day, there is a remnant saved, chosen by grace. You see, Paul says, just as there was a remnant in Elijah's time who were faithful, so there's a remnant today. That means Peter, James and John, those were the Israelites who were faithful. They turned to Jesus the Christ. Sadly, most crucified Christ. But there was faithful people among the Jews who worshipped God. Now, what do we see in Revelation? The dragon was wroth with the woman. He went to make war with the remnant. And how are they defined here? The remnant who keep the commandments of God and they have the testimony of Jesus, meaning people who are faithful to Jesus. What is the world going to be like? Most people, John says, will be worshipping the dragon, the sea beast, the land beast. The whole world follows the dragon and worships him. Everybody? No. There will be faithful people. Where have they come from? They have come out of Babylon. They have left what God called them to leave. That's what John is telling us here. How do you leave Babylon as we close? How do you leave that which is dear? Because all of us have friends that are part of those churches or part of those religious beliefs or ideologies. It could be atheism, it could be communism. We could be tangled up in a thousand things that the Bible constitutes Babylon. How can we leave that? As human beings, when many of our friends are part of that, how can we leave? We cannot stay. We'll be lost. So how do we leave? There's a simple answer. How do you overcome Babylon? That's the question. Because to leave Babylon is to overcome Babylon. I want you to notice how John portrayed it for us. John saw people in heaven. John saw people saved for eternity. He said, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast... That's the one from the sea over his image. That's the land beast image and over his mark and over the number of his name. Standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the lamb saying great and marvelous are your works. Lord God almighty, just and true are your ways. O king of the saints. Now watch with me something interesting. What's the song of Moses? When you go to the book of Exodus chapter 15, if you want to read that when you go home, read it. It's a marvelous chapter in the Bible. But what it says is this. Israel was about to, they had the Red Sea in front of them. They had the Egyptians breathing right behind them with all their swords and spears. The mountain range on this side, they were trapped. They were caught between a rock and a hard place and they would have been destroyed by the Egyptians or at least taken back to Egypt. And then what happened was Moses held out his rod and the waters parted and Israel went on dry land across the Red Sea. They sang a song beside the sea when that was all done and the Egyptian army was completely destroyed in that same ocean. 
They sang a song. It's the song of Moses. And what does it mean? It says this, God, you saved us. We didn't save ourselves. In fact, we couldn't save ourselves. There was nothing we could do. We had nothing. We could do nothing. But our eyes are upon you and my friend. That's how you and I can overcome the Babylon. Only by the power of God. It's impossible for you and I to come out when we love what is dear to us. Only the power of God can do this. But there's something else. They not only sang the song of Moses, they sang the song of the Lamb. What's the song of the Lamb? Well, of course, you may recall when Israel, before they came out of Egypt, God said, Moses, you tell Pharaoh there's one more plague coming. You tell Pharaoh, I've tried, I've given him nine opportunities. Now, one more is coming, and it means this, Moses, every firstborn male in Egypt, uh, everybody, Jewish person, non-Jewish person, every firstborn is going to die. You tell Pharaoh, Moses, you tell him that's what's going to happen. But Moses, you tell your people, if they want to be spared in this final plague, you tell them they need to take a lamb, and they need to kill that lamb and take its blood and put it on the doorpost of their house. And when the angel of destruction passes over, if he sees the blood, he will pass over, and no one will be destroyed in that home. And so every Israelite family took an animal, and they put the blood on the doorposts of their houses and the angel passed over. But of course, the Egyptians and Israelites who did not apply the blood, their firstborn were destroyed. When Pharaoh saw that, when Pharaoh saw the Israelites were spared by the same plague and his firstborn in Egypt were destroyed, he said, get out of here. We don't want you here. Leave this place. And Israel came out of Egypt by the blood of the land. My friend, of course, there's a story for us here, isn't there? The blood of the Lamb points to Jesus Christ. There's only one way for you and I to do that which is impossible for us, and that's to go to Calvary and say, Lord, that's how much you love me. You gave everything so that I could have eternal life. Lord, I know I must come out. It's dear to me, but Lord, there's only one way. I need your power by the blood of Jesus Christ. My friend, it's the way of the cross that helps us to do anything in this life. That's why the Bible says they overcame him, Satan, ultimately, the dragon, by the blood of the Lamb. My friend, this afternoon, I know it's not easy. And it wasn't me who said, come out of Babylon, it was your father in heaven. He has a great love for you. He knows that Babylon is about to be destroyed, and those who stay in it, share in her sins and therefore receive the plagues that we talked about this morning. So God in his great love says, my children, come out. Don't stay. Come out. Leave. Run for your lives. Those who leave Babylon, the Bible says, they are called the remnant. Those who stay, they are part of Babylon. You see, there's only two groups in the end of time, lost and saved. In Babylon, lost. Come out of Babylon, Saved. That's it in the end of time. Just two groups, in or out. And the choice is yours or mine. And the way is through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's bow together in prayer, shall we? Oh, Father, this is a solemn message. But oh, we thank you, God, that there is a river that flows from deep within. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. We thank you that there is power 
also in the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we can do that which is impossible for us by accepting and claiming Jesus Christ who died for us. May today we make those decisions. If God is speaking to us this afternoon and saying, my child, I want you to come out, come out from whatever system of Babylon we belong to, we must come out and be God's remnant. Just raise your hand today. You want to be one of God's remnant in the end of time, one who is faithful to God when everybody else is unfaithful. You want to say, Lord, I want to be part of your remnant that comes out of Babylon. Just raise your hand this afternoon. Make this decision for God because he loves you so much and his father's heart calls you. Come out, my child. I love you this much. I spread out my hands on an old rugged cross for you. Come out, my child. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. May we follow this Jesus in his name. Amen. You've been listening to Ancient Mysteries with Pastor Gary Webster on Faith FM. Join us again same time next week to discover more ways in which the history of our world confirms the Bible and its messages of the past and future. Right around Australia, you're listening to Faith FM. Faith FM.